Hi, I'm Dan Lucchese, creator of the website Lawyers with Depression. Today's guest is Dr. Don D'Amico. Dr. D'Amico is a psychotherapist, author, and educator. She's the author of the new book, Trauma and Well-Being Among Legal Professionals, and the companion workbook to Trauma and Well-Being Among Legal Professionals. I've read both, and they're excellent, and I highly recommend them. Dr. D'Amico's keynote speaking appearances and seminars, continuing education credits, and private uh, psychotherapy are provided internationally. Their specialty is primary, secondary, and generational trauma, and she's taught several continuing legal education seminars. Dr. D'Amico has been working in the area of trauma for over 25 years. She has served as a keynote speaker at many events, including the keynote speaker of the Chief Judges Conference for the State of Wisconsin on Trauma and Mental Health, the Wisconsin Supreme Court, the Canadian Criminal Lawyers Association, the New South Wales Australia Bar Association, and the Canadian Lawyers and Mental Health Association, among others. Dr. D'Amico, it's a privilege and welcome to the show. Dan, thank you so much for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Let's start out with this. Um, what brought you into this field of trauma and secondary trauma in particular? And what do we mean or what do you mean when you talk about those terms? So as you have stated, Dan, I've been working in the field of trauma for over 25 years. And... Um, the first book I wrote was on primary trauma with children and adolescents. And um, I was working with that for a number of years. And then I started working on a number of cases. Now it's about seven to nine years ago where they were pedophilia cases. And I started to recognize the symptoms in myself of secondary trauma. And as a psychotherapist, I could identify it, and I knew what to do to get the help that I needed. Um, however, I started thinking about my colleagues in the law, judges, lawyers, and how do they cope with it. So I started to ask um, my friends, my colleagues, you know, what they were doing with it. And people really weren't talking about it, Dan. So I started to think, well, maybe it's just my county, uh, so I started to go outside of the county. Finally, I started to go outside of the state, and I then started to look into the entire United States. And I really found that there was not a discussion of secondary trauma, much less an understanding of secondary trauma. And I will get to that definition. Um, however, then I asked myself, well, if the U.S. isn't working on the issue of secondary trauma among legal professionals, I want to see if other countries are. So I started a study in the U.K., the United Kingdom, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, as well as the U.S. And I was very fortunate um, 
someone at the Mr. Cohen from the U.S. Judicial College allowed me to put a survey there. I put a survey in the New Zealand Bar Association and um, throughout the other countries, and I started to get back some really excellent data showing that indeed secondary trauma was not only occurring, but was occurring cross-culturally and had a very significant impact on the health and well-being of legal professionals. So I decided it became my mission, Dan, to want to help legal professionals because these are individuals that are working with people potentially on a day-to-day -day basis um, and really suffering some of the consequences. So what I found was that there were multiple, multiple names for secondary trauma. We've heard, and this is cross-culturally, I found about 10 actual names of which there were six or five or six that seemed to be most common. So secondary trauma was um, kind of also called vicarious trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, post-traumatic stress. Um, and other names depending on the countries, like particularly in England, it's called vicarious trauma. So, but all of these different names also have slightly different meanings. So I ended up contacting um, someone over at the University of Louisiana, Mr. Charles Figley and his wife, Kat, who are head of the Trauma Institute. And he's kind of the guru of trauma. And I discovered in my research that the previous definition of trauma was not fitting what I was finding in legal professionals. And so I created um, a new definition of secondary trauma that I actually shared with Charles Figley and Kat Figley. And so I'm going to quote directly from my book, Secondary trauma among legal professionals will be defined as exposure to an event such as the client's narrative, photos, videos, etc., that causes ongoing distress symptoms in the individual resulting in physical, behavioral, and or emotional symptoms. Secondary trauma can occur with one exposure to an event or over time through an accumulation of exposures. Now, this is the significant factor that people are not understanding, is that we may have just one brief encounter and already have a secondary trauma experience. Indeed, through some of our secondary trauma experiences, we may be triggering primary trauma. And that was the other definition you had asked me about, Dan. Primary trauma is a trauma that occurs directly to us. So, for example, if a lawyer or judge is working on, let's say, a child abuse case, and they themselves have been victims of child abuse, that may indeed trigger their primary trauma. So, secondary trauma is a very complex issue. Um, and that's part of the reason why I created the Secondary Trauma Spiral, which has been written up twice now in the American Bar Association. And I'm happy to speak on that as well. 
Uh, thank you, Dr. D'Amico. That was a really excellent overview of uh, trauma, both kinds. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you, uh, I mentioned in the beginning your publication of your new book and your workbook. Why did you decide to write a book and a workbook? Thank you for asking that question, Dan. I decided to write this book because I really could see the suffering in my colleagues. And then as I did the survey, which was really out of curiosity initially, and I got all of these um, responses back, not to mention the actual people that I have talked to and encountered who've truly suffered. And so I felt like there was this huge gap and need. So, of course, we are all familiar with the large, the largest study on mental health, which was um, created by the ABA, Bar, by the American Bar Association. And then there was also a study that was in 2017, I believe, and then there was also a study in Australia by the Mind Brain Institute, which was just the following year. And they also found significant levels of mental health issues and alcohol and other drug issues. And it really appears to be many of these issues stemming from a secondary trauma experience. And I just thought there really isn't any additional information out there to help people. So the book is an accumulation of not only the um, information about what is secondary trauma, but it's also touching on all of the mental health issues, depression, anxiety, even suicide. And then I have tools, and the tools in the book are really practical tools, so you don't need anything, and they can be done in one minute or less. So they're truly practical. I'm not asking people to take an hour out of their day, but if they pick up a tool or a couple of tools, you know, we should all at least have one minute for health and well-being. So that's really the reason why I did that, um, because there's such a profound need. Before I move on to this topic of, uh, and you mentioned it before, the spiral of secondary trauma, uh, with respect to tools, can you give us an example of a few? Absolutely. Um, so a couple of the tools that we might look at, and one of the tools that a lot of people really seem to enjoy is my Wheel of Wellness tool. And the Wheel of Wellness is um, a sectored tool that has approximately five sectors to it. And those sectors include physical well-being, spiritual well-being, social support, lifestyle and communal well-being, and mental and emotional well-being. And under each section, I will have um, primary listings of simple things that people can do, do. Pardon me. And so someone may, for example, look at the Wheel of Wellness and say, oh, well, I'm really good at physical, but I don't have anything in the area of lifestyle, personal, or communal, or maybe I don't have anything in the area of spirituality. So they can 
go to the various sectors and maybe choose the sector to work on for a week or move around the um, wheel of wellness and pick one daily. And again, they can choose one of these simple um, exercises that shouldn't take more than a minute. Also in the book and workbook, I do have some additional um, exercises that people can um, take a little bit longer with. But the primary tools really are these fast, quick, practical tools that people will actually use. Okay. And uh, thanks for that explanation. And it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, maybe we should take one step back uh, to talk about this, this spiral of secondary trauma you mentioned. And I guess uh, when you talk about the wheel of wellness, uh, it's, the wheel of wellness is somewhat in response uh, to the spiral of secondary trauma. And can you tell us what you mean by that or what the spiral is? Yes, absolutely, Dan. So the spiral actually is a figure of a spiral. And the center of the spiral is the secondary trauma exposure. And then as we move out of the spiral, I have symptoms um, that people will experience. So we'll have the initial reactions, we'll have physical and emotional symptoms, ongoing distress, and shift in worldview. So this spiral is a very quick and easy way for people to determine on their own what they're experiencing. So for example, if we start at the beginning, the middle, where it's a secondary trauma exposure, some of the initial reactions we might experience could be shock, feelings of anger, fear, irritability, or loss, possible memory of a personal trauma. Now, this is what I was talking about before, Dan, which is that primary trauma. We might have nausea. We may have diarrhea. We could have changes in heart rate. And the symptoms go on and on. One of the symptoms I would like to mention is fatigue. Now, most of us as professionals have long weeks, long hours within the day. And so suddenly fatigue seems to be normal or become normalized. And I think we really have to watch for what's becoming normalized. So is fatigue normal? No, not really. So if we're walking around in this chronic state, we need to be aware of it. We need to touch base and do something different. We may also see other kinds of issues, sadness, depression, a startle reaction, we may experience shame, known as post-traumatic shame. That's a whole other um, discussion we could have, Dan, but that's a real feeling of shame for feeling like you're having those symptoms. So, and that's an issue that came up over and over again within my study, and that's part of the reason why it's so important that we're talking about this, because no one should feel... Um, humiliation or shame if they're experiencing symptoms of secondary trauma. We need to normalize this conversation so we can talk about it openly and get the help we need. 
And just remember, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. Just briefly, um, there are many other symptoms that people can w- look at. Ongoing distress symptoms such as memory issues, nightmares, increased use of alcohol as a way of coping. Again, in my five countries that I studied, the documentation, the research is out there that we're seeing an increased use of alcohol and other drugs compared to the general population and compared to other professionals as well. And finally, we see a shift in worldview. And so what does that mean? We may start to have feelings that the world is unsafe, that maybe um, we're even having a shift in our own confidence about our professional life. Maybe people even think of leaving the profession. And what a tragedy that would be for um, people who have invested so much time and effort, and many of whom are seasoned people who are so helpful to their clients. Um, it's just a complete loss. Hmm. Now, there's a section or sections in your new book called Champions of Disclosure. And I I should actually give a disclosure here is that I'm one of the, well, I don't think of myself as a champion necessarily, but I, you were uh, you interviewed me uh, as one of the champions. And uh, why did you choose to put that in your new book? Well, Dan, actually, you indeed are a champion. I've always admired the way that you speak out so bravely about mental health issues. And so why I wanted to put Champions of Disclosure in the book is because the individuals that I spoke with, and I spoke with you, and I am so appreciative of that, and others around the world, um, to share their name as well as the mental health issue that they're struggling with. This was so important to me because it allowed for the normalization so that people could see, people who were reading the book could actually figure out and know and look up on the computer if they wanted to who I was talking to and what the issue was, what the issue was that they were encountering. So I have um, someone who, a lawyer who is talking about suicide. I have judges who are talking about secondary trauma. I have all of the issues, including alcohol and other drugs. And these are very, very brave people, um, lawyers, judges, a Supreme Court justice. Um, it's just amazing to me. So the people are out there. There just wasn't a venue, so to speak, for everyone to experience this and to hear stories and to know that there is hope and that there is a way out and that these experiences were really potentially normalized experiences, meaning that if we're exposed to certain things, of course we're going to have issues. Of course it's going to affect our mental health. So how can we cope in ways that are healthier, that are more well-rounded, and really think about um, general wellness, not only physical, but emotional as well. Uh, Dr. D'Amico, 
Thank you. Thank you very much. And I, I was very privileged to be part of the book. Um, when we talk about unpacking these mental health topics, stress, anxiety, depression, burnout, trauma, um, how common is it for someone to suffer a traumatic experience or secondary trauma and develop something like anxiety or depression? Or is there any studies or statistics out there? Well, the studies are very limited on secondary trauma alone. However, we can go to the studies to look at depression, anxiety, suicide. Um, and even within the book, um, I've broken down the countries and I've broken it down by topic. So if you wanted to look at statistics on, let's say, suicide, I have statistics on suicide when available in each country and among legal professionals. So I don't want to say just suicide among, you know, everyone in Canada. This is among legal professionals. I also have a subsection that um, looks at what's going on with law students in these countries, again, when available. And I have to say, Dan, Secondary trauma, I believe, is a normal byproduct, normal, of some of the work that we are exposed to. Mm -hmm. And um, you could say, I mean, when we think about uh, secondary trauma, uh, I recall having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, when I he read about me and my depression work and he said something like, well, everybody has depression or there's high rates of depression across all occupational groups, not just lawyers. But the research shows the recent ABA study, which you referred to, which looked at, uh, surveyed 13,000 uh, lawyers, showed that the depression rate for lawyers uh, at any time in the past year was about 28%, which is four times the rate found in the general population. And those same lawyers were asked over the course of their legal career had they had a problem with depression, and over 40% responded they had. And that's twice the lifetime average found in the general population. So when we talk about secondary trauma in the legal profession, uh, whether it be through research, statistics, surveys, conversations you've had, how, it, how much more likely is it, you think, or could you opine that legal professionals, as opposed to doctors, social workers, uh, people who work at grocery stores, can you, can, you, can you talk about that? Absolutely, Dan. Well, from my research, as well as some of my um, presentations within um, the research, it was absolutely clear that the majority of people, the majority, and I'm talking over 70% of the people that I was um, surveying, and these were open surveys available to anyone at the U.S. Judicial College, anyone at um, the New Zealand Bar Association, et cetera, um, were experiencing five or more of the symptoms. In addition, um, when I was Talking to the various groups that you referred to earlier, um, the various presentations that I've done, the continuing education, 
I also make available the spiral of secondary trauma, and we do an anonymous um, survey during the presentation. And always, I have very, very high response rates. In one particular presentation, which I can't reveal where it was, unanimously, so every single person that responded, and it was every person who attended, um, there were eight plus symptoms on the spiral of secondary trauma, which is really mm. significant, Dan. These are people who are suffering. If you look at the spiral of secondary trauma, the symptoms are not just neutral symptoms. These are significant symptoms. Dr. D'Amico, uh, we're about at the end of our interview. Uh, would there be anything, uh, and I'll get to in a minute how people can contact you, but would there be anything in summary you would like to add? Yes, Dan. I think it is very, very important for all legal professionals to really become aware of the issue of secondary trauma and mental health in general. If we truly are able to have a conversation regarding this, normalize not only secondary trauma, but mental health issues in general. And if we can do this in the legal profession, which many people, the general public, look up to, we're, you are all role models. And if we can normalize it, have a discussion, we can really change in general how mental health issues are viewed. In addition, it's critical for all of you legal professionals to take care of your health. If you take a bit of time every day to take care of your health, your work will benefit, your family life will benefit, and you personally will benefit. Thank you so much, Dan. I appreciate this opportunity and to all of your listeners as well. And how how can we contact you? Listeners, uh, how can they contact you? Your, uh, you give, in addition to being a uh, veteran clinician, uh, you give presentations throughout the country and internationally on this topic uh, for law schools, uh, lawyers, judges, how can they contact you? Yes, Dan, they can contact me at my website, which is called lawyersatrisk.com, or they can contact me by phone at 262-210-1952. Thank you such for your time today, Dr. Dubico. I'm Dan Lukasik, uh, the creator of Lawyers with Depression, Join us again soon for another interesting uh, interview uh, with respect to the topics of stress, anxiety, and depression. Thank you.